coming to you live from a bedroom in Chicago, Illinois, and a, uh, what is that, an office? This is a dining room in Baltimore, That's Maryland. That's a dining room? The <laughs> dining God. room. It's the Any Given Thursday podcast with your friends, Max and David. It's a uh, day after Thanksgiving. We're all nice and full, nourished on football. And uh, multiple kinds. It's the it's it's the World Cup special. Yeah. For the first time, other than our previews, we will be covering World Cup soccer. And we're gonna we're gonna start with all of match day one's action from Sunday on through Thanksgiving Thursday. And uh yeah. Should we start with uh, the unfortunate hosts? Yeah, start with the hosts. Turn your turn your notifications. I don't know off. how to turn these off because I have to put the <laughs> volume on. I don't know why. It's already going to sound shitty because it's, it's like, oh, we just started recording. Let's send David four emails in one minute. <laughs> well, Group A, of course, features the unfortunate host Qatar, who lost their opening match nil two to Ecuador on Sunday. This was actually the first time a host nation has ever lost the opening match of a World Cup, which is despite it's a, it's a little surprising because it's a lot of years, a lot of World Cups, and, and it's I usually mean, big. But it's we've usually had a big South- nation, and you understand you get a little like host nation bump usually in the group stage at least. But um, it is a little surprising it hasn't happened like once, you know. Um, yeah, I mean South Korea. I think South Korea was the technical host for the first game in two thousand two. I don't remember because uh-huh. I was six. But <laughs> South Korea, not like an incredible team, but uh-huh. very good. Um, South Africa, obviously also they were cheating, right? So yeah, South Korea were. So maybe there's a little bit of a misleading statistic. But South Africa is the is the was the most likely to lose up until this point, but they. Got their little bump. They drew 1-1. I think it was Mexico they played. Yeah. And the Shabalala goal, you know, will go yeah. down in history. But the it was a great goal. I remember the- it very well. Yeah. I remember it well. But we're not talking about 2010. Yeah. And at a World Cup that's inarguably better than this one, we're talking about 2022 Qatar. So Qatar-0 to Ecuador. We had nearly a first-half hat-trick from... Ecuadorian legend Ener Valencia. He scored in the third minute, but was from a second phase of a set piece, but it was disallowed due to an offside taken back from VAR. Then he righted the ship in the 16th minute with a penalty to give him a 1-0 lead. And in the 31st minute, he knocked in a header in the bottom corner, the bottom left corner, that was either a stupendous header with superb accuracy or it came off the wrong side of his head. Uh, I can't tell which, but any either way. Let's just he, give him the credit. Let's give him the credit. He scores to put Ecuador up 2-0 for good. Inter Valencia has Ecuador's last five World Cup goals. How about that? Wow. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Going but back to 2014 stat, when they last made the finals. We'll see if that stat stays today. but. Mm-hmm. Because you know, Ecuador is going to kick off in about an let's hour. Hope it, let's hope it stays. Let's hope it stays yeah. right there. Let's hope no he more goals. No. 
I'd like to see. You can add one. You can add yeah. one if you want. They can be in a loss. I know you want the Dutch to win, but I would prefer. I would like to see a clean sheet at some point in this tournament, but I know that's improbable. <laughs> yeah, you guys only got one out of one game already. So yeah. So the XG in this game, Qatar managed only 0.32 on five shots. Ecuador had 1.18 on only six. The possession was 47 to 53 to Ecuador. And I don't think the stats really tell the story here. Mm-hmm. Ecuador really, from the opening, I almost said tip. That's a different sport. From the opening kick, it was pretty ugly for Qatar. They couldn't get a hold of the ball in any meaningful way. They couldn't build up with any confidence. Ecuador was pushing high on them out of possession, and they just couldn't They couldn't handle it. They were – the ball – They. Were, I've never seen, like – even at this level, an international team struggled to put like two passes together. And it's not like they're under intense pressure, but it, there was some pressure, but they couldn't like the quality was so bad. I saw one throw in that somehow like, you know how you, that you should in professional throw ins. It's like that nobody moves. <laughs> that's a thing that's changing now that, that we have like throw in coaches and shit. Usually people just stand there, and that's like, you know, in high school soccer or club soccer, they'll be they'll like scream at you if you don't move on a throw in. But you know, so that he just goes through his like throw in progressions and then decides to throw it straight to Enter Valencia. Why? <laughs> like it was just like the strangest, some of the strangest decisions, like most amateur looking play I've seen from a team. And the thing is, like Qatar isn't that bad, like. Yeah. They won the not Asian as bad game. as they were, especially in that first half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought they looked very like you said, amateur. I thought that was a good descriptor. Um, just so many misplaced touches, misplaced passes, and like I know they got. Uh, I was watching, listening to the broadcast and the reaction on Fox as well, and they were talking like, "Oh, tactically, it's there. Tactically, it's there." I'm like, but part of the tactics is to not play so scared. Mm-hmm. Like they looked like they were just concerned about trying to get out of this with as minimal damage as possible and trying to not really impose their game on Ecuador. And we knew the coach said like, Oh, we can't do that. It'd be suicide. But this idea of just sitting back and not really creating anything, isn't going to help them either. They need to find a healthy. It really looked like it really looked like the moment got to them for me. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, they've been doing their best to play in competitive situations leading up to the tournament obviously you know their asian cup in 2019 they won that was a while ago they played in the gold cup last year you know world cup qualifying stuff we mentioned in our group a preview Mm. but they really didn't but i guess i suppose the lack of you know big moment games maybe caught up to them here and with all the you know i was watching videos last weekend about how Qatar built this team over the last like 15 years so that they would be ready for this competition. Basically, you know, Mm -hmm. the Aspire Academy, all that they've had this team, like basically training together, like a club team for the last six months, like traveling the world, like just so they won't embarrass themselves in this group. Mm -hmm. And I think I don't, it's, I think it's just as simple as like the moment got to them here. Like, obviously they're not that great either, but they're, Hmm. you know I, I think they just didn't look like they could handle the pressure 
of not just the expectations internally, but how, you know, the, the whole world is basically mocking Qatar for having it in the first place and FIFA. And yeah. they're sort of in the middle of all that. I don't know. I think for me, it was just as simple as that. Like, A, they're not amazing, but B, they just, it was too much. And especially in the first, the second half, I will say I was a little disappointed in Ecuador in the second half because I think they really took the foot off their gas. And yeah, I think Qatar played themselves back into it a little bit as well. Yeah, but I think like if Ecuador kept pushing, they were also in the second half in particular, I think really sloppy in the final third, attacking third. They just didn't, they stopped putting together like crisp passes and like they could have scored four in this game. And like if they go out level on points with Senegal, like they could really regret that. Mm-hmm. If it comes down to goal difference, as we're speaking here, Senegal, uh, I believe just beat Qatar three one, right? Three one, yes, yeah. The game so went final. The goal differential is the same, but they have more goals scored, which is the next, the next a tiebreaker. Yeah. So if they if they were to draw with Ecuador, now Ecuador has to win basically. Mm-hmm. And I do week, want to say, like, to Qatar's credit, I know they lost to Senegal again, but I thought they looked better in that game. I know we're not on to match day two yet but they were i think more open and a little more willing to push toward the goal which that's the thing they're not as bad as they as they showed especially in that first half no i think they're just not as good as senegal and they're not as good as the netherlands so i don't expect them to get any points now no but you would i think the ecuador game was probably the worst The netherlands game might be really rough for them (laughs) yeah so let's move on especially if the dutch are already qualified yeah. yeah, I do want to say also there's the whole thing about like half the stadium left at halftime and another half of that half was gone, but like halfway through the second half, it, it, that it was an ugly look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think for, this is going to be weird with it compounded for the weird start to the tournament. Yeah, this World Cup is going to be weird with attendance because it's so much more expensive than yeah. previous World Cups. Even getting to Qatar this, is yeah. crazy expensive. But this one was notable because it was the actual Qataris there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I'm not like trying yeah, to take. There's it also the yeah. The other another factor is that the Qataris aren't going to show up in droves to the games to fill out some of the seats that what they wouldn't normally at the world. You know, like yeah. the local fans aren't there to make up the numbers because mm-hmm. they're not but really they, football fans. Well, there's also so, not a lot of people in right, Qatar. There's not a lot of people. Yeah, there's like so there's like three hundred thousand citizens in the entire country. Yeah, and you know everyone that's not a citizen is probably not in a position to afford the tickets right anyway that's that's qatar ecuador i would give them definitely give them some credit in the first half uh Mm -hmm. but yeah i think they could live to regret sort of taking their foot off the gas and now they may have to beat senegal to get through the group yeah but let's go to the senegal netherlands game that's what i was going to transition to bless you maxwell i'm allergic to the cats on my lap yeah, gonna... so uh, on Monday, Group A's match day one rounded up with Netherlands 2, Senegal nil, courtesy of late goals here. 84th minute winner from up and coming star Cody Gakpo was a De Young, not Luke, <laughs> Frankie De Young, flipped a ball in from outside the box. Um, Gakpo sort of makes a diagonal run in behind the line, gets there just ahead of Edward Mendy, and 
flicks it in with the top of his head over Mendy into the goal. That ended up being the winner. Davy Klassen also gets a an additional security goal in the 99th minute uh, off the counter to seal a 2-0, an undeserved 2-0 victory, it has to be said. 1-0 yeah. would have been more representative. 2-0 is just harsh on Senegal because Senegal were pretty good in this game. I'd say they, for the most part, they matched... They matched the Dutch in sort of the pace of play, in the build-up. They looked like they could hold their own with them. Uh, the Dutch were missing Memphis Depay for most of the game up front. He wasn't fit enough to start. He did come on late. Um, I don't know. I didn't, Senegal also looked like they were desperately missing Saudi Omane because, you know, they they could control the ball a little bit. They could you know, work the ball into some decent areas, but they just didn't have any really clinical tendency or ability to find that last pass. Yeah, I think it's just that talent in the final third was the difference. I mean, if Mane's there, this is a very different game for Senegal. The His ability to attack trade into the goal, they were totally missing that. Sar's good. I like Sar, mm-hmm. but he's not going to be as direct and as dangerous as Mane is going through the goal in the Netherlands. Didn't have a lot of problems dealing with Senegal in the final third. Uh, Senegal had what, like two shots on target out of yeah. the ten they took, so it's not a good percentage. Uh, yeah, they there weren't a lot of moments where the Dutch felt like they're about to consider. Yeah, like one or two moments where they had to call in their first ever capped goalkeeper, <laughs> Noppert from head it head in vain <laughs> in the Eredivisie. But there weren't too many. There weren't too many moments where I, as a Dutch supporter, felt like crazy anxious. Yeah. They weren't wanna... caused by the Netherlands, frankly, because the Dutch had a few moments where, in the in the deep in the midfield and in the back, where they just like gave the ball away for no reason. It was a very odd performance at times. Yeah, we should mention uh, the Licht's performance because yeah, another the Licht has an issue playing at the international level for some reason, like. It shouldn't be a thing about nerves because he has such experience at the international stage at the club level. He was captaining Ajax in the Champions League semifinal at the age of 19. It's not like it's not like the moment should be too big for him. No, but, and he's played in big games with Juventus and Bayern as well. So he just has a thing where like in the he hasn't really been in since since um uh <laughs> since Van, Van Hall took back over um, after the Euros last year for those who don't remember Frank De Boer was in charge during the Euros it wasn't he wasn't well supported as the national team manager in the country people didn't like what he was bringing to the table nor did I and the Dutch in the group stage played some exciting stuff and then in the not in the first knockout they were upset by the Czech Republic in large part because they weren't playing great before, but in large part because Delict gave the ball away in the defensive third under not that much pressure and committed a red card tackle in like the 50 something minute. So the Dutch were down to 10 men for the, and then eventually the Czech scored and they lost. So, and, and since Van Hall took over, he hasn't really been in favor actually it's been more common, I think, to see Yuli and Timber there in recent months in that position on the right side of the in the back three than Delict, and 
he gave Delict a chance today. I, I didn't I actually thought it would be Timber because that seems to be what he prefers. Yeah. But it's not great for Delict, is it? Like he just has a habit at the international level of 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 not performing up to his standard at the club level, and it's a little concerning. I would be nervous about him playing again today. Every time we get a break from the international level, I'm like, oh, Delict needs to be starting for this Dutch team. He's incredible. You know, because you watch him for the club teams and he was great for the most part. Obviously, he still can be air prone, but, you know, he's still kind of young. But every time we get one of these big breaks, I'm like, oh, I can't believe the lit isn't like a nailed on starter for this team. And then he plays his first game for them. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why. He was bad. He was bad in this game. He he had like weird things like heavy touches that put them (laughs) under unnecessary pressure. Like, ah questionable marking occasionally i don't know it's just a it's a weird situation that i I don't really know what to make of it but i wonder if he'll get replaced with timber for this second game today we're gonna find out shortly but yeah weird situation otherwise i'd say in the game there weren't really a lot of clear-cut chances on either end i felt like there it alternated between moments of like two decent teams showing some quality in buildup and then moments where there's some like uncharacteristic sloppiness. I don't know. The Dutch in particular look like they, maybe it was just a question of, you know, they now infamously team, some of these teams have had like, you know, five, six days to prepare for <laughs> their first match. They just maybe look like they needed a warm up game <laughs> to me. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if those problems crop up again today, but that was my takeaway. I was sort of anticipating a draw after watching a bit of it. I was pleased as a supporter that Gakbo, that De Jong and Gakbo managed to find that bit of quality. And yeah, Senegal, I still think are the second best team in this group. I agree. I, I, I'm, I don't think they can make it that far if they're not able to find a little quality in the final third. Yeah. Being the first African semifinalist seems like a long shot. For them now. Yeah. And I do think the goalies are also a big talking point after this game. Yeah. Um, Nolpert for kind of his story. You know, he's 28 and he's played like 40 club games in his career. You know, he was down in Serie C in Italy with Foggia not that long ago in the Dutch second division recently. So him coming to get again, this is his first international cap. Yeah. yeah. Coming in, doing that in the World Cup and keeping a clean sheet. Surprise inclusion on the team, too, because I don't understand why if it's a injury thing or if he's just not favored for every reason but flecken who on paper should be the first choice goalkeeper for the national yeah. team you'd think right he's i would, I would playing think. really well in the bundesliga and you'd think he'd be first choice but he's not even on the team yeah like and he's not and so then the choices are you know pass fair by or bylo who you'd think okay one of them will play nope <laughs> It's no. that's such a Van, it's such a Van Hall move. Like he just keeps me on my toes, you know. I never know what I'm getting from Van Hall. Also, starting Vincent Janssen up front, I was like, what? Yeah, and Vincent Berghaus, Janssen. Burkhouse starting over like Coop Miners in the midfield, where yeah, Miners yeah. had been the guy for a while. I was so, a little yeah. He just that, like but... you think you think you've worked out what Van Hall's gonna do in like warm ups and stuff, and then he's like, fuck it, I'm new shit. I don't yeah. know if it's like a if he's like trying to hide his tactics from opponents or whatever, but it's like he's. He's such he's such an unpredictable legend. Uh, I didn't think the Klassen thing made a lot of sense today. Or sorry, the Jansen thing 
made a lot of yeah, sense I didn't think today. He but played particularly well either. Um, I didn't think I so either. Fine, but he wasn't. You know, I he was wasn't really surprised good. he started over. Like I would, I don't know what I would have wanted, but anyway, I won't talk too much longer about the Netherlands. But yeah, Nelpert six eight, first international cap in the World Cup, no less. Played pretty damn well. He didn't have a ton to do, but the few saves he was called on to make, he did. He looked solid. And then Edward Mendy, you have to say, could definitely be. You could definitely claim he was at fault for the goal, for the Gakpo goal. I think for the comes out to punch and he misses. He just doesn't get there in time. That's a tough call, though. You know, it's like a 50-50 ball. You can forgive one of them. But I also, yeah, like you just about to mention, I feel like he doesn't do great on the second goal either. It's a shot that comes in low and he parries it sort of right into Klassen's path. And it's like, that's one of those things where you're like, well... You know, that's a tough situation for a goalkeeper, but also for a keeper who formerly of his quality, who would, you know, look so good in Chelsea's run to the Champions League title. Like you think if he parries that technically right, which is out wide, out further wide, then holds on to it because he had, I think, the time. I think it wasn't it wasn't very powerful. And I think he could have held on to it, but. You know, the I'm placement not... of the parry that was a it was an issue for me. And then there were even rumors that he was going to be replaced by Gomez for the match day two, but mm. he was I think not. that would be He's, I think that would, would have be... been like a, a harsh reaction. But Gomez is rents I... back up. It's not like they have a star, you know, yeah. second goalkeeper, or it's not like but, they're the Netherlands where you have three yeah. guys kind of but if they're gonna go if they're again if they're gonna go far, they need to work out up front and they need to work out they need to they need good performances from Mendy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's move to Group B, where yeah. England had a—I wouldn't say a shock result, but the scoreline was a bit shocking. England six two Iran. You just don't really see goal games like this in World Cup group stages so often, and we had more than one actually where scores went a little apeshit. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think the first like twenty thirty minutes of this game went about how we expected. England had all the ball. It was a bit slow. And sluggish. Iran was happy. Not too many chances for England. All of a sudden, it erupted. Jude Bellingham was left alone in the box. Shaw found him with the cross. It's 1-0 England. Bukayo Saka. Sorry? Roberto Carlos, as they call him. (laughs) Uh, Bukayo Saka scores a second. This one comes off a header off a corner. Maguire knocks it down from the corner and Saka blasts a finish. It's really, really fierce strike there. One of the best goals I've seen so far, actually. 2-0. Raheem Sterling. 41st, 45th plus one one-th minute. Comes off uh, Kane breaking down the right flank. He plays on a lovely ball to Sterling, who... Taps home outside of the foot. Also, an underrated finish there. That's a tough. That's a tough. Yeah, skill. I thought this was much better than the second goal because in the second goal, soccer you didn't think doesn't. So? I, I think smashes it, dude. Because, but it doesn't have to, right? So the second one, I'm like, oh, like it's not as te- when I was watching was fabulous, it because I'm like, he d- it didn't have to be perfect. Yeah. It was, it was a great goal, but because of the way the defense was, I was like, oh, he yeah. could have totally flubbed that and still might have gotten in. You know, Bellingham's header was pretty nice too. Yeah, actually, the even though it was in a good position. Yes. The pass yeah, by all good goals early were great. But kind of Saka adds a second in the 62nd minute. He cuts into the box with his left foot, dances around some defenders, finishes close to an unsighted keeper. Um, Taremi pulls one back for a round in the 65th. 
he sort of slipped into the box. He finishes high. It's kind of a nice goal, but uh, it's the first moment where Maguire, Harry Maguire looks a bit at fault in the back line. He is marking Taremi at the top of the box and doesn't really track the run effectively when he slips in behind him. Rashford makes 5-1 in his first couple of touches on the pitch after coming on. Jack Grealish gets his first World Cup goal. It's a really unselfish cutback from, from fellow sub Callum Wilson. Could have got he could have gone for his first World Cup goal. Instead, he facilitates Grealish's and then he does the celebration for the sick kid or whatever. It's not the kind of podcast this is. That was in the 90th minute. And then a penalty that we don't need to talk about, but I think it was a stupid call. And I think it sets a bad precedent for what we're calling as penalties in this World Cup, but Iran get a nice consolation penalty in the 90th plus 13th minute. Uh, we had this much stoppage time in this one in particular because we'll, we'll talk about the extra time stuff in FIFA later, but uh, this one was particularly long because of the goalkeeper injury. Yep. Iran's primary keeper. Half, 14 minutes of extra half. time because and of the second half. Yeah, was there another injury or something? When was this? What was second the second half, half? 13 minutes, 14 all minutes also. All the subs. Um, and they then played 116 was, minutes in this game. 116 yeah, minutes. wasn't supposed to be as long, and then the penalty was like with 30 seconds left in the game. Bro, and 100, so, 116 minutes. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's one thing in the first half, but in the second half, when the, when it, when then like the nine minutes flashed up, you're like, why? Poor Iran is down 6-1. You're like, just end the game. Like, that's so ridiculous. Uh, if you, weirdly, if you look at the at the stats here, other than the possession, which was 78-22 England, like, it doesn't look like England would have won 6-2. Like, Iran's XG ended up being inflated by the penalty, but they had one XG despite that. England had 2.11. But England, like, I don't think that this is another one where the stats don't really tell the story here because England was so good. And Iran were so woeful in the back for a lot of this game. Strange from a team that's good at de- defending. I kind of disagree. Normally. I think the stats do tell us something about what happened in the game. And it's that England were super clinical. Mm-hmm. Every opportunity they had, it seemed like they scored. That's like, true. But Iran was like uncharacteristically. Yeah, that's true. Iran were just uncharacteristically sloppy, though. Like even mm-hmm. on that first Bellingham goal that was a nice header he's wide open and like at the six like nobody's marking him yeah. yeah i thought their defense was terrible i they really bad that's the, what so they're good at one-on-ones they yeah. were biting on every little like hip fake mm-hmm. shoulder fake head fake i think it was saka's second goal was the one in particular that stood out where he just sends the defender flying by doing like the yeah. slightest little shoulder shift to the right and i'm like you i wouldn't bite on like yeah you know i'm not a professional soccer player and i'm not biting on that yeah, it was I thought really embarrassing from them in one-on-one defensive situations, but yeah. you know England are also a team that have a lot of guys who can beat you one-on-one, so it shouldn't be that surprising that they were able to I do just it. Thought, I just thought the expectation for this game is it would be really slow. England would maybe score once, and that would be fine, one-nil kind of game, you know, uh, especially at a World Cup group stage. But it really opened up in a surprising way. You give credit to England. I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on Iran too much because. Obviously, yeah. they have a lot going on, and I wonder. I, I, you one expects that maybe that had something to do with the, with the focus here. Hard not hard to not think about stuff like that. Yeah, they have a lot going on. Yeah, um, I do think that England opened up because uh, I think the only issue was a couple times at the back they looked a little gettable. You know, like Iran had a few opportunities to score, 
and did a good job, I think, of you know kind of getting in behind every once in a while. But if England's going to open up this much and be this dominant with pressure, like that's not an issue because they're going to score three goals a game. Yeah, if they play like uh, this. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what they look like moving forward. Obviously, they they play their back four formation. They play against worse teams. It would be great to see them play that, like moving forward. Period. Like just period, because it's way more fun to watch them than in their back three. But I don't know if that'll be the case. That this looks a lot better now that I ran, just beat Wales this yeah, morning. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, also renders, that also kind of renders the England USA game irrelevant because <laughs> yeah yeah it just comes whatever um yeah yeah kind of I think moving on to the US Wales game the US and Wales draw one one a bit of a disappointing result for the US I would say because they were dominant for the first sixty minutes and then yeah, it all thirty kind of unraveled yeah they pressed so they pressed well they were really all over Wales who who couldn't get a foothold in the game. The breakthrough finally came when Pulisic breaks through with the dribble vertically, plays Timothy Weah in on goal. He finishes calmly. The Timothy Weah start was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, Giorena must be dealing with an injury still. Like but Giorena says he's fine. Burhalter says he's not fine. Yeah. So that's a little bit weird. He didn't what Reina didn't play at all. He didn't even come on. But yeah, the way I did not see the way a thing coming. I thought if Reyna wasn't fit, I thought Aronson would start there. But Berhalter seems to like to play Aronson in the midfield. Yeah, he came on for Musa. Yeah, and I will say I do like McKinney. Sorry. Yeah, I have no problem with the Adams McKinney Musa midfield. I think that's our best choice midfield. Although Musa was good, and he played pretty poorly. Yeah, Musa. I just like. The second half, we'll get to the second. Let's talk about the first half first. Yeah. Because, yeah, like I said, the U.S. were all over Wales. They they looked like the best version of themselves in the first half, mm-hmm. which they rarely do, <laughs> especially in the build-up to this tournament where they, they had some really dicey results and build-up friendlies. And they just didn't look like they weren't playing, quote-unquote, Burr-Halter system up to its potential. I don't know. What did you think about? What did you think about this first half? Yeah, I thought the first half we did look really good. Um, Pulisic in the first half, I thought, played a really good game. of you know, was, was in the right spots to be effective. Adams in the midfield was incredible, I thought. But in the first half... He's, a, he's thought, our best player today, right? Probably. Oh, easily. Adams? Yeah. Yeah. In the first half, I got a text message from a friend who doesn't watch soccer, but was watching the World Cup games that I thought was very telling about some of the issues with the U.S. And he said... Do we not have any strikers on this team? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> and that is a huge issue for the U.S. I mean, we should have scored more than one goal. Yeah, we should. There was that moment earlier before the goal in the first half where uh, Sargent almost put in a really nice header mm-hmm. close to the near post, but it went off the post. And that, yeah. I thought that was really promising for Sargent because, you know, he was getting into a good area and he was just unlucky, I think, not to not to slot that home. But also, then we didn't see much from him after that. Like, no, I thought he was kind of out of the game. Which, you know, I said Pulisic played well. And then in the second half, I thought he was one of the big issues with the team. He and McKinney, for me, were the big issues with the team in the second half. It's like the ball gets to Pulisic. And if he doesn't have his first option, which is just to run at the center backs and try to find somebody on his inside, 
he's useless. I mean, because it's the only thing he seems to be able to do for the U.S. Uh, Yeah, I think something we've talked about off air about Pulisic on this team is like he has to he's always I think it's part of his evolution on the team is realizing that he doesn't have to be like he doesn't have to do messy stuff like he doesn't he doesn't have to be everywhere. He doesn't have to like just beat the whole team himself with one on one, you know, challenges at, at defenders. He he should he's useful when he plays within the burr system and he doesn't try to do too much like yeah. pick his moments like he did with the goal where he drives an assist way yeah Before he was doing that in the first half but yeah as you mentioned like when they lose control of the game in the second half like it goes back to him doing his like one-man army thing mm-hmm. where he just wants he just wants to like break down the defense himself yeah I think part of it is like for a couple years he did have to do that. He was the yeah, only capable player outside of McKinney, who just isn't, you know, a particularly attacking player in the US system. He was the only capable player on that team in 2018, 2019. Hmm. So, you know, he learned to play that way with the US. And now that he's not probably not even our best player, he needs to be doing something different. Yeah, by form, he wouldn't be our best player, I don't think. You have coffee? Oh, it's okay. I thought that's what you were doing. Damn it. Yeah, you're fine. A little parental visit. Oh, you're slipping, Pat. You're slipping. You're slipping. Oh, God. But Pat just, uh, cat just fell through my legs onto the floor. Then, in, yeah, the game obviously wait, all came undone with. Wait, 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 wait. You're still fixing yourself. Okay. There we go. The game obviously all came undone when Zimmerman committed a rather silly foul. In the box yeah, on did. Gareth. Was it on Gareth Bale? Um I think so. The game really changed in the second half when Paige made the Welsh coach made some made a strange choice to start the game, which is he went with Harry Wilson instead of Kiefer Moore. Mm-hmm. Who Kiefer Moore obviously more of a guys cats are fighting right on my shoulder. Kiefer Moore is more, you know, your old school kind of target man. Mm-hmm. But he has been, you know, now that Bournemouth are back in the prem, he's actually looked really good. He's been scoring goals. Bournemouth aren't last like we all thought they'd be. But so it was strange, especially the way Wales want to play, which is on the counterattack. It's strange not to not to start your like inform number nine that fits your system. You know, yeah. he went he went with the more speed option and it just it didn't work. Like they couldn't get the ball to him. They couldn't make like three passes. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, as soon as they put Kiefer Moore on and in the second half, everything changed. Yeah, having a speedy striker also plays into Serginio Dest is limited defensively. But the one thing he's really good at is, you know, defending against speedy players because he is himself incredibly speedy. Uh, yeah. So I think that kind of played into the U.S.'s hands and that it gave them instead of, you know, a team that really only has two solid defensive options in their center backs. It, Allowed Dest to be a part of the defense. Oh, and shit. Pause what? the podcast. I spilled the coffee, David. Oh, Maxwell. I spilled the coffee. Hold on. You I'll be back. Oh. What, were you, what were you talking about before you spilled your cup of coffee? It's Everywhere. about Wales. It's about Kiefer Moore. No, oh, yeah. Kiefer Moore had a good game. U.S. could yeah. not. Uh, Kiefer Moore. Yeah, the substitution of Kiefer Moore coming on really 
change the game. The U.S. couldn't deal with his hold ability, his kind of target man play, his size in general. Just a tough opponent for him. Definitely open things up for Wales, which is a little concerning because, you know, everything he can do, Harry Kane can do, but better. And they they also pushed their wing backs up high, Mm -hmm. uh, higher than they were in the first half. And, yeah, I don't think, like, the U.S. still had a few like reasonable positions of strength and like half chances in the second half they they just sort of lost their quality in the final third i thought like they still i think before wales had got their goal was didn't create that much despite changing the nature of the game like until the penalty they maybe had a you know turner had to make a couple of saves but nothing like he shouldn't have made you know what i mean i yeah. don't think Definitely agree with that. Uh, we should also and like say, if the U.S. could have, if they could have hit them, found some quality on the break, it could have ended the game two 0 Still, like Wales weren't going to do nothing in the second half. I wasn't like, like at least like thirty minutes into the second half, I wasn't like horrified by how it was going. It was definitely trending towards the Welsh, but it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't like they're getting pummeled. Yeah, that's definitely true. I do think we because we're both from the U.S. and you know at least support the U.S. to an extent because of that, you know, it can be kind of tough to look at the game objectively and to say, oh, this is what the U.S. did well, even Mm -hmm. though it's a disappointing result. But I should point out that Wales almost had a chance at a winner because Matt Turner came out and made a really, I mean, it was a poor clearance off, way off his line. I wasn't like horrified that he came out. And if 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 he'd sent it to the stands, it would have been fine. Yeah, but he kept it, it in play. Yeah. Um, and it falls, I don't, I don't think it fell, fell directly to Bale, but it ends up with Bale eventually. And Kellen Acosta bites the bullet, takes a yellow, saves the U.S. from a potential. One of the best, one of the best fouls I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> because there's no way Gareth Bale wasn't going to bury that from how far, from like half midfield. Also, knowing it's Gareth Bale. For Wales too, you're like, oh, that's he going. One hundred percent. He he was just winding up to take it. I was like, there's no way that doesn't go in. There's no way. And that's why Kellen Acosta is an MLS champion because he makes mm-hmm. fouls like that. Mm-hmm. Taking yeah, out his... the last twenty minutes were all Wales, and it to the point where after the goal, after the after the penalty went in, which ah oh, Matt Turner just about got his fingertips to that, but it was too much power mm-hmm. from Bale's pen. Before you just about on. figured like that Wales were the likelier to score a winner, and that was nerve-wracking, especially after the U.S. had done so much good in the first half. It felt like a bit of a waste, but, you know, Wales weren't going to do nothing, and I think the U.S. showed a little bit of naivete in game management and right and quality. Um, yeah, so it's pretty much going to come down to their Iran game now. Yeah, before we move on, I do also want to add that it's a little concerning to have trouble in – late in the game against Wales of all teams, because Wales, yeah. if you look at the rosters, Wales have some of the worst depth at this World Cup. And yeah. the U.S. to be struggling late in the game when you could make five substitutions, and theoretically, your bench should be way better than Wales. That is very concerning that that's when we had issues. If it had been the issues had been in the first 20, 30 minutes, no, whatever. The U- Wales has some very good, high-quality players at the top end. They have Gareth Bale, who plays at a different level when he's at Wales and he is at his club. So you're like, okay, that's one thing. But the fact that it's late in the game, very concerning mm-hmm. for me. Some of the positive that like they defended Bale really well in the first half in particular. I thought Tim Ream had a really excellent game actually for the most part. Yeah. 
I was glad to see him start. I think he's earned his starting spot from here on in. I think Zimmerman I didn't have too much of a problem with until it was a really, really silly challenge in the box. He's, he just goes straight. There's no reason to do it. The backs away, like, at, towards goal, he's not about to shoot. Yeah. It was just a really clumsy, stupid challenge. And who knows if they could have seen it out otherwise. But let's not dwell on that. Let's instead move to Group C. Yeah, where which, we uh, had... Probably the shock result of the tournament, yeah. Argentina won Saudi Arabia 2. 2. 2. And frankly, this game looked dead and buried 10 minutes in when Leo, 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 Messi put in a pen 10 minutes gone. And then Argentina proceeded to have three disallowed goals for offsides in about a 10 minute period soon thereafter. One from Latara Martinez in the 28th minute that went to VAR. And it was that was about as tight an offside call as you'll see. <laughs> like they should have been like two, three nil up easily by halftime, mm-hmm. but they weren't a little unlucky there, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side of half in the 49th minute, Aldasari finishes into the opposite bottom corner from the left side of the pitch. It's a nice goal. It's a bit of a smash and grab. All right. One, one Argentina has a long time to go. Four minutes later, Aldosari scores an absolute thumper from outside the box. Maybe the second best goal of the tournament so far. Yeah. It was a beauty. And all of a sudden, Saudi Arabia have a shock 2-1 advantage. And in in that sequence where they, or a couple of sequences where they scored the two goals, they had both their two shots on target and all three of their shots total and all 0.15 of their XG. That was it in that four-minute sequence. <laughs> Those are their only chances, and they won because yeah. Argentina couldn't break through after that. They, uh, Courtesy of some of J.J. Bull's analysis at TIFO, they had – Argentina had this weird thing where they're just like – they're just like sending all their, you know, like six forwards into, into the forward line. Or not six forwards, but six players into like a forward line, and they didn't have a lot of interchange. They didn't have a lot of ideas – which is weird because when Argentina had a bit of a higher line in the first half, they they had runs in behind. Like all of them ended up being offsides, but they were all super tight and pretty unlucky that not one of those counted, you know? Like, but in the second half, they when the block was pushed lower, they totally ran out of ideas and they couldn't find a way through and they lost. I think that's a huge issue for them as well. It stands in such stark contrast to I'll talk about this later with Brazil. But Brazil's ability to interchange and to create different runs when they're, you know, coming at you with a front line of four or five players versus Brazil has so many players who are like dangerous and one on one situations, too. So it's just like something Argentina are missing. And their whole strategy seemed wrong. I mean, they put in 23 crosses Mm. and almost none of them were dangerous or effective Mm -hmm. at all. You know, they weren't competing very well in the air in the penalty box against Saudi Arabia who defended really well. But yeah. you mentioned their offsides. They were called offsides 10 times in this game, <laughs> seven in the first half, which is yeah. more than the entirety of their 2018 world cup campaign. Where they oh, were wow. Good stat, David. Good stat. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I want to give a shout out to Saudi Arabia's manager, who uh, is somebody we talked about in our preview for this group, by the way, who, you know, previously managed, I think it was Zambia and who was the other Cote d'Ivoire to uh, to Afcon championships in the but like 
he he he's out there in his like in his like white see-through button down like and his like windswept blondish hair looking like an absolute french model i'm not even i don't think he's french but you know what i'm saying like yeah. he just looks like a french model and he uh bernard that's such a french sounding he name. might be french he might be french and he's like he he was just like the the study Arabian players were talking about how about his uh his pump up speech before the game and he was like out of his fucking mind so and he's out of his fucking mind the whole game and he's great love the guy i just looked um, up where he's from he's from aile bon in the avon avon Rhone alps region region uh-huh. so kind of close to geneva okay. it is such so a he's pretty like swiss town. french it is yeah. so pretty yeah yeah he, he was an, he was a legend and so the stats in this game, Argentina had 2.2 XG to 0.15. They had 39% of the ball. For me, though, I I know this will probably make a lot of people worried about Argentina. I I and of course this disrupted their this was their this would have been their 37th unbeaten game if they had pulled out a result Yo, to tie Italy. Italy's record, but instead they lost at, at the 37th attempt. I wonder if this is maybe a good thing for them if they turn around their performances because I didn't think until the like the last like the goals were kind of free goals mm-hmm. like it wasn't like they were easily getting hit on the counter or anything and like they should have put the game to bed in the first 30 minutes so it's like yes there are some issues to address but I think I I'm leaning towards this being like a freak one-off result more than it being like a sign that they're going to get upset and not get out of this group because yes, they have two tough games against Poland and Mexico coming up, but I'm like, I still think, I still think they're going to be okay. I still feel like they're going to win both those games. And maybe the optimistic way of looking at this is this is the wake up call they needed after not being, not losing or even, you know, not losing for 36 games. Maybe this yeah. is just like like that jolt of energy where they're like, oh, we can't be, we can't just like sleepwalk our way through this. We have to, we have to perform every match if we're yeah. gonna if we're gonna get to deep into the tournament. So that's that's my optimistic take. I understand what you're saying. I think it's also it's a chance for them to reexamine what worked and what didn't. I agree with yeah. you defensively. I have no issues with what they did defensively. Both the goals were great finishes. They weren't really mistakes from Argentina. They were just kind no. of things. That can happen that you get caught with a finish like that. It's mm-hmm. just it's the nature of the sport where you know goals like that and kind of upsets can happen. Offensively, there are a lot of kinks I think they need to work through, a lot of things that they can improve on. Like you mentioned, the overly flat line at times, they're ineffective crossing, both big issues for them. Um, but this kind of highlighted those issues and gives them a chance to go back and re-examine that and kind of come up with the, you know, the tweaks that you need to make to be adjusting and to keep the opponents on the back foot. And so that they can't just be prepared for you to do the same thing over and over and over again. We should also say it's not uncommon for teams to struggle in a group stage game and then bounce back in the tournament. I mean, Spain lost lost their their opening in 2010. France really, really struggled. Switzerland, I think, right? Uh, Spain, I think it was. I think think you're right. Spain at times looked or France at times looked pretty bad in the group in 2018. Uh, Italy had a terrible, terrible draw against the U.S. <laughs> their stage game where they looked... Brian McBride! They looked so much worse than the U.S. too in that game. 
So there's like chances where you have these results that kind of can actually be a blessing in disguise. But I do think the bad thing is now you kind of have to beat Mexico and Poland. Yeah. And those it's are not going to be easy now. Mexico in particular, I'm a little worried about Argentina's ability to deal with the physicality that the Mexico defense can provide. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how they adjust to that. We'll see. Yeah, I. but weirdly, I'm less worried about them than I am Germany, after, despite mm-hmm. at oh. worse upset. We'll get to that. Let's quickly address Mexico nil, Poland nil, which was a bit of a drag. Mm-hmm. I, I was thwart, thwarted on my flight trying to access the plane's Wi-Fi to watch this game. The Wi-Fi was down. I had to settle for highlights. The big, the big moment in this game was a missed Lewandowski pen in the mm-hmm. 58th minute. The penalty check went to VAR. I think that was the right call. Yeah. Uh, but but World Cup legend Guillermo Ochoa down to his left makes the save. Another legendary moment for the legendary World Cup keeper who just keeps producing big moment after big moment. We talked about him in our in our preview. Um, he just like for some something just switches on in his brain in the, in the World Cup for whatever reason. Um, he had the most saves at the 2018 World Cup. Uh, he didn't have to make many today, only two, but uh, this one counted for everything. It was not even like a terrible penalty from Lewandowski. Like it was wasn't in the corner, but it wasn't like it wasn't like at you know that like dead zone for penalties at that perfect goalkeeper height, not in the corner. You know it was like pretty. It was like pretty low. It was pretty much on the ground, and it was pretty far to the to the keeper's left. But it just wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't totally out of reach, and Ochoa just makes a really good save. And yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a tough one for Lewandowski in Poland, but Poland didn't deserve to win this game. I don't. So I have a question for think. you: Is Memo Ochoa the best World Cup goalkeeper of all time? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think he kind of deserves that crown now. He it feels like every year he's done this. He's been. What is done- he thirty eight? He's been to five World Cups. He's only Insane, played in three, but he's been to Yeah, five. we're talking about Ronaldo being the first to score in five World Cups. What about Ochoa making a save in five World Cups, probably? Well, he didn't he did not play in the okay, first okay, one. four he World Cups one either, but yeah, he was still there. So yeah. incredible. Yeah, he is incredible. Uh it's every four years he comes out of nowhere and everyone's like, Oh, I forgot yeah. this guy was yeah, he's still the starter. <laughs> yeah, um, he's great. But I think Mexico deserved – Mexico played – I think some of the stuff we talked about in our group preview here came to fruition for Mexico, which is that they sort of lacked the cutting edge and couldn't score, like, even though they had the better chances in this game other than the penalty. I think, like, I think they'll take the draw here, but they would have thought they would win this game. I mean, nobody had a ton of great chances. Mexico's XG was 072 Poland's was 0.94, but you take away the penalty. Poland created almost nothing in yeah. front of goal. Zielinski for Poland looked really uncomfortable all game. Really unfortunate. We job. spent the whole group building out how this isn't your know, like grandfather's Poland and like they have a lot of fun attacking players. They didn't do shit with those attacking players today. They didn't do shit. No. I say yeah, today on whatever day that was. Really disappointing performance, I thought, from Poland. Obviously, I didn't get to watch it live, but I, I, I expected more from them. And now I, I got to say, I don't favor them over Mexico to make it out of this group anymore. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, Cesar Montes, you know, he was someone that we talked about, but we weren't the only ones. I don't want to like take full credit 
for like scouting him and no, finding him. No, we should. No, we should. We should take full credit. He was he locked Lewandowski down. Like Lua had yeah. very, very few chances. Montez was all over him when he needed to be. His positioning was great, his physicality being, you know, I mean, he's a giant of a defender. Yeah. So just totally shut him down. I think he might struggle against Argentina with the smaller players, but mm-hmm. you know, if he can make them uncomfortable and be a little physical with them. You know, he could have a really, really good tournament. And Kiwi Orr, I thought, was really good for Poland in the back line as well, kind of mopping things up. Um, he was, you know, I think highlighted as somebody that was going to be key to their defense, given the age of the other defenders they have on the back line. He did a great job, uh, you know, preventing Mexico from really being, from getting like one on zeros. You know, he mm-hmm. always seems to be able to recover and be back there to put at least a little bit of pressure on them to make any attempt kind of more difficult than it needed to be. Well, Saudi Arabia really opened up this group, so it's anyone's anyone's guess now. Yeah, so Group next. D, let's mention another nil-nil draw, Denmark and Tunisia. This one, despite some of the other nil-nils in this first round of fixtures, was quite entertaining. Tunisia, I think, was impressed us both. Dude, they were so pumped up for this game, too. They were really pumped up. They were flying into tackles. They, each team had a goal disallowed for offside. It was just a lot of fun. And I, I have to say Tunisia just about earned the point. Denmark ends up with the better XG, but Tunisia managed more shots, barely, and had so, so much energy. They had more quality on the break than I would have thought, and as well as remaining pretty organized in the back. We In our preview, we predicted Tunisia would be pretty boring to watch because recent of late they kind of have been they've been very practical and haven't really opened themselves up for fun but they did on the counter today and they even had spells of possession themselves i think we might have underestimated them here if they can put in performances like that they're going to be you know a tough team to play against yeah um i do want to talk about denmark because i hated the tactics they came out with i thought they kept drifting wide like intentionally in the final third and then trying to find a way back in. I was like, it's not working. You have to try something new. But because they don't have a true striker on the team, there was no central point, no focus for the attack centrally. And Scott Olsen is a winger, so he's giving the ball and he's moving out to his position on the right. Dolberg kept moving over to the left. I'm like, just stay a little central. Put some pressure on him through the middle. That's and, what Pierre Emmerich Horiburger is for, my friend. Yeah, well, if that's your only, if that's your best option, come through the middle. <laughs> no offense to him; he's a good player, but you know. Yeah, but I think it. equally, equally, Tunisia got their tactic, their their defensive tactics right, and um, I agree. yeah, Denmark, Denmark wasn't quite like as sharp as their normal. So they still could have won, but yeah, I think I they. Cornelius came on that. Even though he struggled finishing, you know, he mm-hmm. missed. He sure did. He probably had the best chance of the game chances. for them. Yeah. Um, I thought when he came on, though, it just gave them something else. You know, it gave them that focal point, And I think he should start, which I did not expect myself to say. <laughs> also, known as the, also known as the Danish Kiefer Mora. Yeah, I've heard him called that multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Denmark have put themselves under some pressure here. We'll see. We'll see how they can respond. I I don't want to spend. I don't want to dwell too long on France four one Australia, but I think one thing to mention is that Australia did go in front here in the ninth minute, 
through uh through through Goodwin and I think because of all the drama the French FA and all the injuries with the team and the history of three of the last four World Cup winners going out in the group stage I think this was a great early test for France just to be like we're not gonna follow that narrative we're not gonna like we're, we're not gonna like get a Argentina here and get like get nervous and panicky and, and and stray from our game plan. Instead, they just sort of calmly managed, the, kept managing the game. They found their equalizer. Uh, Teo put in a cross. Teo came on uh, right after the goal for Lucas, who got injured. Yeah, put in a cross. Rabio headed home. For his MCL. So he's out. he's done. He's probably done for the season, which is... is this That sucks okay. for Lucas. Yeah. I do think is it a Teo, blessing in disguise for France? I think it is. But, you know, you just never want to see it happen that you way. Don't. Especially to one's brother. Yeah. True. <laughs> what <do> we... <laughs> Bittersweet maybe he moment. Did maybe, maybe he put a curse on his brother. With <laughs> a voodoo curse on his brother. So he could get in. Uh, Rabio heads home. We hate Rabio, but he's he looked fine again today. He's playing Australia. What are you going to do? Playing ball right he now. heads home. He was, it was a wide open header. It wasn't like it was a hard one. And then Rabio cuts back. It was a turnover from Australia a few minutes later. In their own half, it ends up in a Rabio cutback to Giroud, who taps home from close range. That put them up 2-1 going into the break. And then they get a couple more in the second half. Mbappe scores. Mbappe assists Giroud. That puts that ties Giroud for the all-time goal leader in France football history, which is you would not if that was a trivia question at a pub, you would not Giroud would not, you'd not be like, Oh yeah, Giroud. You'd be yeah. like You'd be like Henri. You'd be like, well, you know, all, all until, these... until that game, you would have been right if you said Henri. Yeah, all the all these, yeah, right. But you feel like all these famous French mm. attackers and scorers, and it's like, mm. nope, it's Olivier Giroud. Okay. He's one away from the all-time record. So, but I, I thought I was just impressed by how France responded to like, and you know, usually in these moments for France, it's like any hint of controversy or like challenge, and it's and they like and they are at risk of folding under intense drama. But instead. They managed it super well. I know it's Australia. They're one of the worst teams in the tournament, but they said 4.2 XG and they fucking dominated and deserved the scoreline. Could have been worse. I think I think they answered all the questions I had of them so far. Yeah, I don't really have that much to add other than being really excited to see the two Milan players put in really good performances for France. So Great. Let's move on to Group E with one of the best games of the tournament so far. Germany won. Japan. Two. Um, Ilki Gundogan put Germany ahead with a pen in the 33rd minute. And then Kai Havertz had a goal disallowed in the 45th plus fourth minute of extra time in, or simply added time in the first half. That goal would have made it 2 0, but alas, I'm going to sneeze. Well, that's standing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that would have made it 2 0 and probably put the game to bed. Germany were super dominant in the first half japan had almost no chances and the second half started a a little bit of the same germany had a couple of really good half chances where a clinical version of them would have seen this game put to bed two three nil gundawan i think hit the post or just or hit just wide with a low shot they just couldn't find the breakthrough and then Japan started really coming into the game at a certain point in the second half. It was almost like it looked intentional that maybe they defend pretty deep 
for the first half, stay in the game, and then all of a sudden they started springing a press on Germany, and they started pushing high, and they started turning the ball over and getting some chances. And so much so that, you know, by the time they had equalized, the commentators were talking about how much they deserved it, even though they didn't even have a kick in the first half. The 75th minute, the sub, Duan, taps in after Neuer parries a shot from another sub, Minamino. Interesting, Minamino didn't start. Um, I then think in, he's so much better coming off the bench. I think yeah, you've seen it with Monaco. He kind of struggles when he's playing a full 90. I don't know what it yeah. is. I don't know if it's a mentality, a preparation thing. But as a yeah. sub, he just it's a different type of player. Yeah. So German, Germany's drawn back level there. Germany tries to start pushing again, but then in, I think it was the 83rd minute, there's a direct ball over the top, top from the keeper. Kept on side. Uh, Asano runs in alongside Schlotterbeck. He would have been offside if Sula had stepped up on the far side. Instead, because Schlotterbeck and, um, and and Tony Rudiger had stepped up to 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 put him offside, but Sula doesn't follow suit. So then Schlotterbeck is caught out of position as the ball bounces over the line, and he's sort of recovering in behind. Schlotterbeck didn't have a great game either, especially in the second half, and has had some questionable performances for Germany versus his club form um, in a kind of uh, in a kind of delict esque way, and yeah, and then. Asano gets in behind and he sort of finishes like Landon Donovan style against Slovenia in the 2010 World Cup. He he's at the near post, re- really close range. He just shoots at high mm-hmm. and and manages to squeeze it past Neuer, who you have to say, like peak Neuer, maybe it does a little better positionally there. But it's hard to blame that on him entirely because it I mean, it was like pretty calamitous to see from a team of that quality at that level. See a goal like that was a bit disturbing i think for a german fan um but japan ended up really kind of taking the game to germany the last 20 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, 30 minutes with extra time and in the end to the point where you wouldn't say they didn't deserve to win even though germany dominated so much of the game yeah this is if you look at the possession stats i think it tells a lot of the story right 74 percent possession for germany only 26 Mm -hmm. for japan and it was very ineffective possession for the most part yeah and we talked about like oh let's so in the first half though let's hear a fun stat about the possession i I might get this wrong but i saw that germany in the first half had the most completed passes in a first half in recorded world cup history i believe it's in the 400s yeah and we talked about it in our previews like they're going to hold on to the ball in what looks like a dangerous position but then you know they don't have the finishers to really make people pay kai havertz is not in my opinion, Kai Havertz is not the answer up top. You did have I a disallowed goal. I, I like Havertz. I like Havertz more than you do. Yeah. I am I also come into this with a very negative opinion of Kai Havertz, and I just found him to be pretty ineffective today. But I also don't know who you put there that's a better option. Maybe Mukubu, you don't. But That's the thing. He's 17. Yeah. Like a week ago. <laughs> yeah. I think Hor- Raphael Honigstein on The Athletic had some interesting coverage of this. Some um, on the one hand, he he questioned some of Hansi Flick's decision making decision making points at the end of the game in the late in the second half, where he takes off the two players who had looked the best for Germany 
And Ilkay mm-hmm. Gundogan, who'd really controlled the midfield, made a lot of s- sharp decisions and obviously scored the pen. And and Musiala, who had been really bright, and yeah. he took them both off. Right, this is before Japan equalized, mm-hmm. and he put on. Um, and then when, once they went behind, or were were drawn back level at least, he brought on guys like Makuku and um, what the fuck is his name? The guy from the guy from Bremen, Fulkrug. Oh, Fulker, yeah, Fulkrug. Fulkrug because he wanted more of that like number large number nine presence, and so and these are guys that like aren't really capped at in meaningful moments. And then he brings on Mario Goetze, who hasn't been in the team in five years, and it felt very sort of like very like not very tactful and a little bit desperate you know like they didn't have the answers once that once they got punched like that and I think the taking off the players who had been your best when the game isn't put to bed ended up being a pretty big blunder from him yeah Uh, especially you especially want someone with Gundogan's experience once I mean, obviously, you still have like Kimmich and what you're replacing him with Goretzka. So that's not the end of the world, you'd think on paper. But I think in the context of this particular game, that was an error. Um, it's also that they he took off probably the five most forward players. Because mm-hmm. Kimmich was playing a little deeper, letting Gunduan go a little more forward. But the five guys he subbed off were the five up front. So then bring on five guys all at different times, like all getting into the game in different ways and there's no connection there right mm-hmm. they look very disjointed at the end and i think like i said a lot of that's because of the substitutions by flick um also uh, i just want to interrupt the pod here to say uh we're recording this friday morning again and uh cody gakbo has 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 beaten enter valencia to the punch here he scored one nil netherlands yeah. we'll get back to that later um yeah but i was about to say sula right back didn't work I don't. I don't think, think so either. Yeah. I don't think that's the place for him. You talked about like he was out of position for mm-hmm. the second goal, and I just don't think he knows the positioning of right back as well as a real right back would. And you're, I I know you're not going to get an offensive performance from anyone you put there based on who they brought, but just put a guy who knows the positioning of it at least. You know mm-hmm. who's not going to get caught, not understanding when to step up and when to step back as a right back versus as a center yeah. back. So. Yeah. Another thing that is a concern for this German team after the fact is that when after the final whistle, Germany that some of the a lot of the German players were like really willing to talk to media. This is also via Raphael Honigstein is that he they did a they a lot of them were some of a lot of the vets you know Müller, Neuer in particular were willing to sort of say how it wasn't good enough and sort of pointed out that some people weren't up to the task on the team without saying names and in a way that you know if they come out and win their next two games won't be a big deal but um if it you know in looking back it, it's something that could be a sign of friction um something that you, you maybe don't want to see with a team that's supposed to be united go trying to go after a deep run in a tournament so um, almost more of a of a of a French esque situation, the thing you'd expect from that from that sort of footballing atmosphere. So it's it, there's there's some concerns for Germany for sure. Um, but I also want to give Japan a lot of credit for 
how they managed the game. Obviously, they were probably a little lucky and fortunate to still be in it when they were, but they really took advantage. They they really started making Germany uncomfortable with a with a higher press, um, and they deserve a lot of credit. But let's move on to Spain seven nil Costa Rica. This one is a really ugly one for Costa Rica, and it started right away. You could tell it was going to be a long day for them. Um, they had some had a questionable decision, I think, to they didn't have everyone behind the ball. They had sort of like a lone roaming striker. I think the, the reasoning being that they wanted to have an outlet to try to hold up the play, so they're, they're you know they have some way to play out and counter, but instead it just they just couldn't get a foot up to the ball because, you know, Spain had like 90% of the possession early on. So they quickly had to put that 11th guy behind the ball. And by then it was too late. It was already two nil possession. Yeah. And that was, and that was down from like 10 minutes before the end of the game where it was 86, I think, or 84. So like Danny almost scored in the 11th minute and then surprise starter, I think Marcus Asensio who played up top scored in the uh you know we thought it was gonna be Murata scored in the 21st and then Ferran Torres had a double including a pen by the way Ferran Torres is dating Luis Enrique's daughter I learned that the other day it's not fun they said um, it a lot on the broadcast they sure did they would not shut up about it it's like I get <laughs> it's like, like that I get it guys Cash being born in England are and Tyreek Lamptey being born in London yeah. <laughs> those I have just been seared into my brain the amount like, that I, I, think I fucking get it and I will. I don't want to shit on them too much though, because that was Ian Dark and Landon Donovan. And I think they've been they're they're probably the best commentary team that Fox has to offer. Uh, Landon Donovan has really impressed me. Actually, I thought he's been uh, he he just like in a way that not all of the these Fox broadcasters have is able to sort of cogently detail tactical stuff from a player's perspective, and I think that's pretty invaluable from especially because. Fox has put some questionable names on that. We we'll we get we won't talk about that. But yeah, I don't I don't have a lot to say here. Like Spain looked about as good as you would have hoped. And if I was Germany going into that game on Sunday, I'd be shitting myself having to win that game. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look it doesn't look great. <laughs> doesn't look great for Germany. I don't have do you have anything had, to say about this? Costa Rica had zero shots. Um zero XG. <laughs> Spain attempted over a thousand passes. Jesus Christ. And it completed <laughs> nine, almost 94% of them. That's insane. The second most was England who attempted 796 passes. So Spain just That's moved it out of the water. Classic. It's got to be some kind of record. Yeah, it's got to be close, though. I mean, yeah. Taylor Navas get... had a rough day. Zero saves. Have a rough day. Seven shots on target, seven goals. Really there wasn't so much he could do, but he did look, he looked a little soft on a couple of, I don't know what it, it was bad all the way around. Uh, Navas hadn't, hasn't been fit for months. So I think five months they said, so nothing I, we talked about in the preview of this group, that this is not a strong Costa Rica team. This is not the 2014 team, but even for them, this was, this was tough to watch. You feel for him a little bit. Let's move on to another thrilling nil nil draw that he said sarcastically. This group was F. Possibly the least thrilling of the Morocco nil nil Croatia. I expected more here. They had the combined XG was less than one. There is two total shots on target. There wasn't a lot to see here. I don't think a little disappointing for me because we were hoping Morocco would be fun. And it's not to say that they aren't going to be. It's just that 
you know, Croatia have a very specific way of playing. And uh, Morocco neutralized them pretty effectively. I think this is a pretty even game, right? Like, this could have kind of gone either way. Croatia yeah. probably had the slightly better chances, maybe? But not, yeah. by, not by a whole lot, you know? Yeah, it was kind of a... This was kind of a dull game, and it was at 5 a.m. for us. So, yeah, so I, I didn't get up to watch it. Full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was a rough one. Um, there were a lot of nil-nil draws, and there was, what, one in the tournament in uh, Brazil. So, Was there only one in Brazil? I think that's what I heard, is that there was one nil-nil. That's surprising at a World Cup. This has yeah, been a weird been, tournament so far, yeah. this, first, this first round, where it's like either it's a nil-nil or it's 6-2 or something. You know, it's like... They're, they're either like a, more goals than you'd expect or no goals at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't have much to add for this one. Both teams yeah, I I think still in a position where they just need to beat Canada, and then if you get a result against Belgium, you go through. But Canada yeah, yeah. proved themselves to be a pretty tricky opponent. They probably deserved a lot more than zero but a points. Very undeserved one nil loss to Belgium. Belgium were woeful for most of this game. To- yeah. terrible like really bad like yeah. disturbingly bad uh the canada was all over them the first 15 20 minutes pressing them high turning them over so easily and it ended up resulting in a in a penalty for canada which alfonso davies missed in the 11th minute it was saved by goalkeeping legend Thibaut courtois but it wasn't a good penalty it was disappointing it was disappointing for Davies in his World Cup debut you know their best player their star player he felt for him a little bit um and then Belgium despite having almost nothing to offer in the first half found Batshuayi over the top I think it was from Vertonghen or Aldevereld can't remember which Uh, it was just a long ball over the top of the defense and Batshuayi gets in behind and finishes but I don't think Batchway was very good today, other than the goal. I think, in fact, I was just quite bad, I thought, for a lot of this game. Like, he he had this weird thing where, obviously, De Bruyne and Lukaku have been playing together forever. And they have a nice understanding in those attacking areas. Here, it seemed like Batchway and De Bruyne could not get on the same page about runs, like placement of balls. De Bruyne had an uncharacteristically sloppy game. He had, even though he he was like surprised, they awarded a man of the match, and he was surprised. He's like, I don't deserve this, Uh, which is fair because he 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 had the the best offense Belgium had is when they did occasionally manage to break, especially in the first half. They did occasionally manage to break through the Canada press. Canada was pushing really high on Belgium likes to build up wide, right? They have the three center backs and they have the wing backs. Everybody pushes wide. And Canada was basically marking them like man for man and meaning they basically had no midfield in, in those defensive situations. Mm -hmm. So the few times Belgium did manage to play out of that and find De Bruyne in the middle of the pitch, he had tons of room to run onto and a lot of like three V three, four V four situations. And usually like when De Bruyne gets in those situations, you're toast. Um, But he had a couple of errant passes or things or like missed reads. Um, and just, I started, and I it was, yeah, it was. And I thought it was mostly De Bruyne's fault. But then the more I started watching, especially into the second half, I I want like I saw him get frustrated with Batchway a couple of times. And I wonder if a couple of those were like 
they not them them not being on the same page as to the runs he wanted Batchway to make, mm-hmm. or st- stuff like that. Batchway had some heavy touches. I don't know. He just didn't. It seemed like it seemed off up there to me. It and Hazard started and played like 60, 65 minutes, I think. And he was the captain and he didn't do a lot either. I don't know. It just it looked it looked all around from Belgium. And even though weirdly, like if they had had some quality on those moments where they could break out of the press, like they could have scored a couple of goals. But in the end, it was like sort of a weird over the top ball that ends up being the difference in this game. But I don't, it's not a good sign, I don't think, for Belgium. Canada, though, what a what a what a performance for Canada for like the first 70 minutes, 60, 70 minutes. They were the dominant really in the balance of play. And it really just came down to them, like not being able to find quality in front of goal. Yeah, Jonathan David, who has had a great season so far for Lille. Yeah, we sung his praises in the preview. Yeah, really tough game for him. Really tough game. So many chances. (laughs) Uh, It was rough. We wanted to see Canada get a result in this one just because they played so well. And I think they did. You know, they I like proved, Canada. They proved themselves pretty or did themselves pretty proud, I think. Um they did. One of the one of the big issues for them though, I saw was when they were attacking, of all people, it kept falling to junior Hoylet. Yeah. And I'm like Who started you, instead of instead of Lorin, mm-hmm. which was interesting choice. Well, Hoylet was playing, I think. It's on the right, right? So that he could play a little further back, like behind yeah. Buchanan and David and yeah. Davies. Because Hoyland, yeah, like Laren, Herman does have Herman has some choi- tough choices to make. As because, like, I think Buchanan and Davies both started in the wing back positions, yeah. Um, I think that's to like, sort of make sure he could get he just wanted to get as many of his best attacking players as he can, other than Lorin, I think. And he, the what's his name, the guy who usually plays. Davies usually, I think, in like Concacaf and stuff, would play left wing, and then they'd have a different guy in the left wing back position. But I think he was just trying to get as many of those players on as he could, mm-hmm. which it sounded great on paper. But then, you know, it, you know, Buchanan wasn't playing in his best position, and I don't know. I mean, Larea was there as well on the right side, Larea, so Buchanan yeah. had more opportunity to get forward. Davies was pinned back a little bit because of that. Yeah, but I think if Davies doesn't miss the penalty. Yeah, it's a totally yeah, different story. I don't say anything about the tactics. Yeah. It employed because I think it actually yeah. worked. Really it was well. super brave and like props for being so bold because he identified, I think, that they could disrupt I think Belgium's. That's sort of what we talked about. Like Canada was a tough matchup for Belgium because they're quick and flexible tactically, and Belgium is slow and old at the back. They, mm-hmm. they even played. Martinez, instead of playing one of the young options like Theater, Debast, alongside yeah, Alderweireld and Vertonghen, played Dendonka, who we mentioned could play there in the preview, but isn't a natural center back. So that was I a little bit a of a strange. Point. Me too. It was just like one of those classic like like international managers stick with the vets kind of decision that I think cost almost cost them in this game because. But it, but it didn't. Sorry. So I guess yes. you know, we can't sit here and criticize it because it worked. They got a clean sheet. They're you know? so lucky, though. So lucky that, yeah. yeah, if Canada had any quality in front of goal, again, it goes back to that. I wonder what this game would have looked like if that Davies pen went in early. Yep. It was what they deserved, and it was a real shame. Uh, yeah, really brave tactics from Herdman, and credit to Canada for, for um, 
dominating the number two ranked team in the world for most of this game. I thought the last 20, 25 minutes, they just really ran out of gas because they'd run so much. They put so much into it. And I'd say the last 25 minutes, they basically didn't really have any clear cut chances. They, they just looked tired to me. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's the good news. Yeah, the good pain. news for them is that this group is still wide open, I think. And and really, after the first match day, I'd say anyone could come out of this. Like, Belgium will obviously be favorites now, but like if they play like that again, like look like look out. Um, yeah. Group G, yeah, Switzerland, Switzerland one, Cameroon nil. This actually might be my least favorite game of the entire tournament. <laughs> well, why? I just why, hate, is why is Switzerland? Why do, Switzerland has this thing where every World Cup they like play super boring bullshit and then somehow make it out of the group. Like yeah. they just don't do anything fun. And mm-hmm. like, yes, the stats will tell you they probably just about deserve to win this game. But it wasn't they had fun. a few chances, but they don't, they're not fun. They're never fun. They always just over across generations. They're always playing. They, they always end up playing the exact same at the euros. They'll play that, you know, they can have a three, three against France and that's fun. But at the world cup, they just like cannot do anything entertaining. I wonder if part of it, like, they've been a similar team for so long because I think they're just in that position, in that weird position as a European nation where you're not an elite country and you're not – they don't have golden generations because the size of the country, like the Netherlands or Portugal or Belgium might. So in order to compete against teams like Italy, who they topped a group with in qualifying, um, against teams like England or France, like, they kind of have to learn to play this really shut-up shop, force bad shots type of play. Yeah, and I think they did that today too. I mean, Cameroon only had eight shots, but Summer still had five saves. You know, another good yeah. performance from him. Classic uh, Summer. Mbolo, I thought was pretty energetic though. So at mm-hmm. least there's that. If Mbolo's playing well, he does. It's nice. It's good for them to have that quality up front. That's sort of pre-Mbolo was unusual for them. I think. Yeah. Um. So I think there's. Definitely a good chance now for them. It'll come down to the Serbia game. And if they can get a draw yeah. there, I think you're looking at a good chance for Switzerland to get out of the group. Yeah. No, Serbia. Should we talk about? Let's do Brazil Serbia to Brazil Serbia game. now. Uh, this was, I was hoping Serbia would put up more resistance here. They like, they defended their asses off to be fair for quite a while. They just didn't, they weren't really able to, I, I, it looked like a fitness thing for them. Like none of their attacking stars looked fit or like totally up for it like none of them are fit i mean kostic didn't play yeah and mitrovic are coming back from injuries yeah you know so there's kostic was the only one yeah it it was it's a tough time it's kind of a bad timing the world cup almost like we talked them up so much but now i'm a little concerned that like i'm a little concerned based on how they again they were playing brazil so it's like two new loss to brazil is whatever this game was almost a uh, a good sign for Serbia. I thought they mm-hmm. competed well in the midfield despite Brazil mm-hmm. you know being a vastly superior team. I thought Serbia looked pretty solid in certain phases. Thought their defense looked really good. It's just that Brazil has so many guys that can beat you one on one that yeah. eventually they were going to. Yeah. And uh, eventually Vanya, the quality was going to was going to come into yeah. play. Vani Milinkovic Savic I thought had a good game in goal. As well, Milankovic and Pavlovic, I thought were good on good defensively, but yeah, Brazil's quality and the tactics I thought were a big thing too. I mean, we talked about it when we mentioned Argentina. Is that Argentina had that kind of flat back line, flat front line, not back line, um, and that you know that allowed you to sit deeper 
and just move back with them. But Brazil forced Serbia to step up because they were making different runs. They were staggering, like we talked about in the preview that they like to do. It's like staggered runs, having maybe Neymar come and then Richarlison go another way. And it forced Serbia to step up and to engage them one-on-one. And you just can't defend guys like Neymar or Richarlison with the way they were playing one-on-one. So, Yeah, it's so tough with Brazil. Like they, I, Serbia, especially in the first half, are defensively super sound. It's just once they once you defend for that long and you can bring on and, and then brazil starts bringing on like crit like starting caliber like star level attacking subs you know you yeah. go from you go from you know vinicius and rafinha to well rafinha didn't come off but you know and neymar to and then you bring on like rodrigo and then you bring on jesus and martinelli who are used to playing together too and are in great form it's like jesus christ like when that happens in the 75th minute as a defender, you must be just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, I, what do we have to do here? They just have unbelievable levels of attacking quality. And eventually, like, the goal was off a really nice Vinicius. Like, Neymar kind of made a move. It fell to Vinicius. He hits low. Goalkeeper makes a good save, actually, because it's a, oh, there's a dog. What's up, Doge? No, and uh, so much Charleston taps in, but. You know, when you have quality like the second Richarlison goal, which isn't already a contender for goal of the tournament. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do, you know? What yeah, are you going to do? nominated Richarlison as a potential golden boot winner? You did, baby. Richie. Let's go. Two goals. Looked really, really good. He's great. I love Richarlison. It, yeah, it's just hard to... Well, I, we'll learn more about Brazil in the knockouts when they have to play, like... The, some of the other best teams in the world but you know they haven't played a european team in like 60 years so or sorry yeah like a so you you know when if they play like france or spain or whatever then it might be yeah, more interesting the other but elite favorite elite team. team yeah but it's just like it's they have like such an embarrassment of quality that it's like it's almost it's frightening to watch them play because i thought they like i thought their performance might have been the best of match day one i thought you know, to play against a team like Serbia, who are good, you know, as opposed to England playing against Iran, it's like we don't really know much about Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, France playing against Australia, we're like, you know, Australia, we know aren't very good. But Serbia, I think the expectations were higher for Serbia. I actually thought Serbia played fine as well. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they were disastrous, but Brazil just controlled every aspect of the game. Like Brazil looked, looked inevitable. They, they looked. They looked inevitable. You know. What yeah. I mean? Yeah. They that looked like scary. looked like favorites. I have yeah, trouble sitting here right now after that game picking anybody but them. Agreed. Uh, let's wrap up with Group H. We have Uruguay nil, South Korea nil. This wasn't such a good game either. <laughs> no, <laughs> they barely crossed the one point, the one XG threshold combined. Uh, Uruguay, I don't know what to make of Uruguay. They should be more fun than they are. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. I think South Korea will take this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought South but... Korea, we, I thought Kim played really well in defense. <laughs> That's it. Let's not explain that. You have to know. You have to know. If you know, you know. Hey, you got to know. You got to know. If you I know, you Kim know. was Kim was great in goal, too, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He made one whole save. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, South Korea, I think one of the issues was the connection to the front. It didn't seem super connected at times between the midfield yeah. and the attack. But, you know, with uh, 
against Uruguay, a draw. I think it's fine. Um, it's the first game, and I think Uruguay teams, will be disappointed for sure. I think both teams just played not to lose, which is not the smartest strategy, in my opinion. But I don't think so. Either. It's it, something that comes over a lot of teams in the first games of the World Cup. Yeah, we'll have more to say probably after match day two for these teams. But you have to you have to you have to score a goal for us to talk about you seriously. That's the that's the new rule. New you rule. are going to talk about you if you nil nil. Uh, unless it's a good nil-nil, like Denmark-Tunisia. They tried. Portugal 3-2 Ghana. This game was a fucking weird, uh, <laughs> weird way to end the the first round of games. They, mm. it, 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 Portugal, I wrote in the first half, watching Portugal is like watching paint dry. And that was true, I think, for the, I think that was fair to say, for the first 45 minutes. Like, I, I don't understand, I don't want to go on too long of a Santos rant here, because we need to wrap up, but I do not understand his fucking tactics. I don't understand his lineups. He played, he shocked me and played a diamond midfield today instead of his usual like 4 3 3, 4 3, 4 2 3 1, which I guess he just wanted was his way of like getting all of the attacking players he wanted out there. You know, like Bruno, Bernardo, Felix, I think was a little bit of a surprise start for me, and Ronaldo. So, and like, to his credit, it does put Felix in a better, more natural position for him, just like playing in behind a striker. But it also pushed Bruno out to the right, which was weird. I don't know. Because he seemed to be playing on that right side more than he was in the 10, which I would have expected. I would have expected yeah. Bernardo to be on the right. I don't know. The whole thing was kind of weird. And it meant like people like Leao were on the bench. And yeah. I th- he ended up looking justified by bringing by like layout getting some like you know injecting some pace into the second half when maybe the Ghanaian yeah. defenders Leao are comes on and they score one minute later and i don't think that's yeah. a coincidence even though he wasn't <laughs> involved in the yeah. goal but then he scored too which yeah. was which he was involved in true he was involved in the goal, in the that, goal he that he scored but but i think like, now he's gonna feel i think santos is gonna take that as like justification that he should bring layout on into the second half to disrupt the the pace yeah. of the game, which is certainly a strategy. I just don't, and I think you could argue that if you had a more logical starter ahead of him in that sort of position, but I just don't think it works having all of these same, like having Bernardo, Bruno, and Felix on the pitch at the same time, yeah. like in similar areas, it's just mind fuck. And it's like, it's like I, they all want to be in the same place. And they don't want to I, do the same thing in that place they wanna, too. They're all look the exact same. It's confusing. I didn't it like is. it. I didn't yeah. like it at all. I don't like it either. It's too much creativity, not enough final product. Um, yeah, and you know what it just ended up being, especially in the first half, is that they all, every single build up results in them all trying to funnel the ball into Ronaldo, who's mm-hmm. not in form. He's missing chances like, like crazy. He missed a couple today. He did draw a penalty as a which, very. I we're listening to the. Penalty. I don't want to talk about the penalty yet. I want to stay. Very I want to bitch about this longer. So, they, but they just like all of their. They build up really like, incredibly slow, but then and then they all like whip a ball into Ronaldo who just misses at the far post or something. It's like this is not how they should be playing with the players that they have. Period. And yeah, okay. So the penalty, worst penalty call at the tournament by far, by far, terrible call. Crazy There's song. no contact. It's crazy. And I can't believe that doesn't go to VAR for a check. 
Yeah. How did they not send the ref to to double check his? I think that was a a disaster of a penalty call. And the Ghanaian coach is going to get fined because he said as much. There's a little bit of contact with the legs, but it's all initiated. Oh, dude, it's such a Ronaldo. It's such a Ronaldo call. Main defender gets there first. Yeah, no other player in the world gets that call except Ronaldo. Absolutely not. Maybe Mbappe. Maybe Neymar. But now Neymar is like more known. Like people watch him more. For some reason, for some reason, Ronaldo still gets away with that bullshit, and it's a disgrace of a call, frankly. I wrote, I I wrote collusion really, really in in caps. I see it in the notes. Yeah, and then uh, Ghana equalized though, and it looks like soon thereafter, and it looks Mm. like they might make it a counter themselves. But then right after that, Joao Felix. Sneaks in behind with a nice through ball from Bruno, it has to be said, and mm-hmm. finishes. That's right after Leao comes on. Then Leao gets an assist from Ronaldo and finishes. There's a great meme of him now. Like, he's about to receive the ball, and he's, like, grinning. Have you yeah. seen that? Always smiling. <laughs> that's his first Love international it. goal, which I didn't realize. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's all fine and good. And then Portugal takes everybody off. They're killing the game. And then all of a sudden, they concede again. In extra in added time, which of course there's like a hundred minutes of, it's three two, and then Ghana looks kind of toasted. They don't really look like they're creating much. All and uh, the uh, what's his name Costa catches the ball in like mm-hmm. the 98th minute, and you're like, well that's it. He just has to clear the ball and the game is over. He sort of rolls it out in front of him, and I think it's Inaki Williams who no, it was um, Bukari. It was Bukari. Who uh, who pulls a Grand Theft Alvarado if you're an NBA fan and is like hiding behind him and like after Costa rolls the ball out he like run he like cuts in front of Costa and steals the ball and everyone's like holy shit Costa and Costa had just a few minutes before had a really big mistake running out to try to like clear the ball and like flubs it um, so he's already feeling a little nervous and really if he stays on his feet he has a decent chance of being able to get a chance off and find the net, but he slips and they managed to get it away. I mean, wow. Like very nervous for something situation. for some, for a game that had very little happen in the first half, so much happened in the last 30 minutes of this one. Devolves this into absolute easy. chaos. It was some of the worst game management I've ever seen from Portugal. They were, what were they doing? They were like taking free kicks, like, and actually putting in crosses for the goalkeeper to claim and then counter. Like, even Bruno was guilty of that, who should know better. It was just the only a lot player of who pulled away really from confusing. Was Leao. Yeah. Leao, but Leao also took a, took a chance on, too. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, the only time it yeah. happened was Leao. And it was so odd. No, we seen Leao play every week as a Milan fan. That was yeah. only because it was closed down. Like, <laughs> if, the chance, if there was a 1% chance he could have scored on that, he would have yeah. gone. Goal. It was it was super it was a super odd bit of game management from Portugal. I, I don't know what they were thinking. Santos must have been losing his mind on the sideline. But and and in the end, like yes, they still deserve to win this game, but they also have a lot of questions to answer. I think at both ends of the pitch, even though they scored three goals, um, I don't. I st- I'm not really sure what to make of this. I don't think Portugal are an actual a real contender if Santos doesn't get out of their own way. And there's the Ronaldo issue, which is like, yes, he won a stupid penalty and scored it. But I thought they're, I think like they're so focused on like getting when they're, when he's the focus point, focal point of attack, the sole one, like he was today, 
they're just so focused on finding him in positions and it's like he's not that guy anymore like and it, I mean, it inhibits their other their other creative and attacking players yeah um, and that's have me a little just, nervous because Uruguay and South yeah. Korea could pose problems for Portugal yeah I, they're not safe yeah definitely not safe even though they are in a good position not yeah. safe because the two toughest opponents are coming next yeah there was a lot of questions about we, we weren't really sure what Ghana would look like coming into this tournament either with the, a newish coach, a lot of – coach with no international experience either and a, you know, a couple of, of fresh-faced players just coming into the squad. There's uh, Kudus. There's – was a little – good. He should, I thought he was – but he, you know, assisted the goal. I, and then he came off right at – what was that? He came off yeah, right after assisting their, their, their equalizing goal. That made no sense. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. Uh, I definitely think, you know, he should have stayed on. I thought he was just a little disappointing in that, you know, because he'd been talked up so much before the tournament. Yeah, and I thought it was kind sure. of like a pedestrian game. I think he struggled a little bit at keeping Ghana's midfield completely uh-huh. like, in control with, when there was space, because there was space for them. Mm-hmm. There. There's Tariq Lamptey, who came on in the second half, also recently naturalized, and then Yaki Williams. And so there's a lot of, New stuff to figure out. You want to spare a word for them? What did you think of them overall? Um, I was like, there were times I was impressed by them and times where I was like, uh-huh. oh, this is not a very good yeah. team. It I felt... Think, yeah. My I take think... is that I was kind of encouraged by the, the second half where they offered some a lot more. I think, like, this might be, like, a tournament too early for them because of all this new shit we just mentioned. But I also think, like, play it, like, just player for player they're with these some of these naturalizations they have the possibility to be one of the most talented african sides in the next couple of years depending on whether thomas Partey goes to jail or not <laughs> so, so, yeah um, so, so uh uh we'll have to wait on wait and see on that it's but, from Partey on for lamptey uh uh-huh. when he came on i thought he i think it was the right choice to keep him off the bench or to keep him on the bench to start. He didn't look yeah. like he knew exactly where other people were going to be running. He didn't look like mm-hmm. really with the flow of the Ghanaian team. So hopefully, yeah. you know, this will be the second time he's really practiced with them. So hopefully yeah. if he can get a little more meshed with the other players, I think that's a place they could be really, really mm-hmm. strong. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. There's a lot. There's a, so much more to play for. Um, we'll be back after match day two to talk yeah. about all the action, including Senegal three, Qatar one is one that's happened already. And uh, I ran <laughs> the two playing well. right now. Yeah, big game there in in, in Group B. Mm. But until then, uh, I suppose cheers to the international gaffer. Cheers to the national team gaffer. Cheers to Greg. Cheers to Greg. Gareth. <laughs> yeah,